0: No way you came to my rescue. From the grave I've been raised. When I needed a savior to save me, Jesus, you made a way. I was blind, but these eyes have been open. Now I walk in the light. Every step on this road I will follow, Jesus, you made a way. recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead Pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. All right. Good morning, everybody. I just feel like we should start off. I want to I share a prayer that many of us are familiar with, but uh, I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes for just a second. And uh, I love what Gary had to share this morning. I love worship this morning. And uh, while, I, while I share this prayer, I want you to picture yourself going back into your, your parents' room, into your father's wallet, and into your mother's purse and putting the money back, <laughs> putting it back, right? All right, I want you to picture that, all right? So go ahead, close your eyes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this scripture with you. Close your eyes and see yourself. I believe for many of you, being here this morning is like going back into that room and back into that purse and back into that wallet. You're, you're coming to your father's house and you're saying, I just want to do the right thing. I just want to be in the right place. I don't want to rob you. I want to position myself to be blessed this morning. So the, the prayer is this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. You see that? We want his will to be done here and we want him to give it to us. We don't want to take it from you, Lord. We're we're coming back to you and we're we're placing in your hands what belongs to you. And then we're asking you, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. We came in here and we took something that belonged to you, Lord, but, but we are repenting and give it back to you, Lord God. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, thine is the power, and thine is the glory forever. Amen. Amen, amen. amen. He's a good, good father. So I felt the same way this morning as, as I look around the church for me uh, You know, I love church, and I love being in the Father's house, and I believe that there's a way that we should carry ourselves in the Father's house. I believe that there's a way that we should enter into the Father's house. However, there's certain times throughout the year where all that stuff just goes out the window. You know, like on Father's Day, my kids can do no wrong. I don't care if they want to get up and eat cookies. I don't care if they don't clean up. I don't care if they spill stuff. The rest of the year, you're kind of like, hey, clean up after yourself. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? And I feel like God wanted to remind all of you that every time you come into the Father's house, it's like Father's Day for him, right? Where we get on each other, and we're frustrated with certain things, and I'm like, hey, what time is it, and where is this, and where is that, and who's supposed to be at their post, and who's not at their post, and who's supposed to be at church, and who's not at church, all that kind of stuff. But God's not really like that. He's just like, hey, it's Father's Day for me. Come on home. Act how you want to act. Eat what you want to eat. Spill what you want to spill, right? And he just loves you. I think for many of us, when we see our dads and our grand, our grandfathers and and all that stuff today or this week, you'll see that kind of spirit in them where they really don't care about all the details. They're just happy to have you, you know, and the Lord is that way with you guys. He's happy to have you. Somebody say amen. Amen. So a couple things I thought about um, as I want to get into what I want to share with you guys, I thought back to Mother's Day and, and the message that we had here was about a new dream right we talked about hey mothers don't don't focus so much on what you thought the dream was and what it is that you were aspiring towards and what you were trying to create on your own and, and just letting God give you a new dream just for the faith of your children, right? And uh, some of those things, it was, it was special. Then I thought about the women when they met, um, I don't know if it was the earlier one this month. Yeah, it was earlier this month and, and a woman came to share and came to speak with, with our women and they talked about, well, what is it that, you know, Mary shares with me sometimes what she can, right? <laughs> I, I heard Gary say we should record. I was like, we are not recording the men's meeting. <laughs> <laughs> we're not sharing that stuff but she did tell me on this last one that that um, uh the woman priscilla that came and shared kind of talked about well how are men seen You know, how are fathers seen and how are men seen? They're seen as weak. They're seen as unfaithful. They're seen as like bumbling idiots and and the the end of all the jokes. Right. If you're looking at society now or if you're looking at TV and and she asked him, you know, hey, throw out some TV shows. And and I think it was Mary, she said, that said everybody loves Raymond. And and she's like, look at that. You know, he's just the joke of the family and the mother-in-law runs the house and all this stuff is going on and i thought about it today with the men you know how do we see men how do we see fathers you know what what is our dream and what is it that god wants to do so i just thought that that was a good good focus for many of us to to come in here this morning and uh and leave with a better perspective on what it means to be fathers leave with a better perspective on what it means to be men you know before i really get into it i always want to uh Thank and congratulate all of the single mothers who had to be mothers and had to be fathers. So praise the Lord for you guys. Also, all of the uh, the surrogate and adoptive fathers, right, who have been there for children that aren't their own or have been there for children who were just in need, Uh you know, I think sometimes we lose sight of that. There's a lot of good fathers out there that maybe you have a different last name or maybe you've been through some things or maybe, you know, you're just there as a father figure in people's lives. And, you know, these are areas, again, those particular women, these particular men that I'm not going to touch on much today, but I don't want you to feel like you're forgotten. I think they're very, very important uh, for those of you who are fathers in this place and those of you who are thinking about your fathers. Who were either there or were not there who have been through ups and downs all those types of things again there's a specific focus i have for the message but don't think that they're forgotten right think about your fathers you know i went back and listened to uh 2017's father's day message and it really ministered to me and taught me a lot of things and uh you know historically i don't really like to listen to the messages once they're preached i don't like to hear my own voice but uh but there was something about it where i was like man This was a good message. So, if you get a chance, go back in 2017 in your app or on the website and listen to last year's message. I think it still holds true today. But what do I want to talk about? Being, or part of being, a great father is also being a great husband and a great friend and a great son. Right? When we come in here today, you know, we we think, well, what are we going to hear about dad? What are we going to hear about fathers and? You know, when I, when I watch my kids, they're watching every area of my life, yeah. right? We're going to focus on fatherhood and fathers today, but I want to I wanna make sure that we remember that fatherhood is, is much more comprehensive than we can cover in just one service, just one morning. But I love the fact that I really do. I pay attention to my kids, and they're not just watching me as a dad. They're watching every area of my life, and I think that that's important. You know, children are supposed to come from a man and a woman who are united in marriage. That doesn't always happen, but I think it's important for us to remember God's intention before his redemption, right? So if we're going to talk about Father's Day and we're going to talk about what it means to be a dad, what it means to be a father, uh, all the areas of a man's life, right? Children are are intended to come from a man who is committed to a woman, a woman who has committed to a man. They've joined together in marriage, never to separate, and then a child is produced. That is God's intention. Say intention. Intention. What we see is God's redemption, where when that doesn't happen and we have children out of wedlock and our children suffer divorce and our children suffer all types of different kinds of men and different kinds of women, God can redeem anything. Say amen. Amen. But too often we live in a world where all we want to talk about is God's redemption and, and we don't talk about his intention. Amen. That's right. I'm not, I don't want to teach my kids that, listen, go screw everything up and then just trust God to redeem. No, let's look at what God's intention is. Whether I was able to do it myself or not, I believe you can. Amen. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, From the time they're born until the time when we, as their fathers, breathe our last breath, can they look at us as men and say, he was a good and faithful husband? I could just talk to you about dads today, but I don't want to do that. I want my children to look at me, and when I'm done and when I'm dead, they can look and say, man, he was a good and faithful husband. He washed my mother with the word of God. He led her to the Lord. He kept her where she needed to be. Man, he's a good father because he's a good husband. Can your children say that about you? There's tons of stories of redemption of bad husbands. They don't get it right until later on in life. Sometimes they don't get it right until the second or third time around, and God redeems, and that's okay. But let's remember God's intention. Is that what we want for our kids, or do we want something different? See, there's husbands in the room right now, And there are young men in the room who will be husbands. And if you want to be good fathers and you want to be celebrated on Father's Day, be a great husband. Be someone who can lead well. Be someone who can wash a woman with the word of God. Be someone who can uh, determine what the word is saying and pray that over the women in your life that you love. And your kids should be able to see that. If you want to be a good father. John 15, 13 says, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Can our children, from the time they're born until the time that the men in their life, the father that they have, breathes his last breath, can they look and say, man, my father was a good and faithful friend? See, it's actually harder to lay down your life for your friends than it is to lay down your life for your wife or for your kids. It's not easy to do that, but it's definitely easier to do that than it is to do it for all of your friends and all the people that you know, right? I should be able to lay down my life for my wife, and I should be able to lay down my wife, my life for my kids. However, it's a lot more difficult to say, I'm going to do that for my wife, I'm going to do that for my kids, and then I'm going to lay down my life for my friends. That's actually very difficult to do. How many of our kids can look up to us this morning as men and as fathers and say, man, my dad is an awesome friend. I watch the way he is in relationship with other men and with other women, and he is just a great friend. You want to be a good father? Be a good friend. I think I can do much better in this area personally, I'll be honest with you this morning. I look at my life and I say, you know what? I've only got a certain amount of time, I've only got a certain amount of energy. I've only got a certain amount of effort that I can really lay forth and I've got to prioritize and and I can justify and say, well, look, I'm a pastor and I work and I got all this stuff going on. I don't have time to be a great friend. (laughs) And then I can justify and say, you know what? I'm a pretty good friend, though, to the people in the church. But that's not really the testimony I want for my kids. I don't want them to grow up and say, man, my dad was an awesome friend to everybody that was in church with him, but he was all right with everybody else. What about you? What kind of friend are you? How much of your life are you willing to lay down for others? I want my kids to say, like, man, we were just, late. we would go places. We would do things. We would show up places. My parents would be exhausted. They'd just be good friends. When they had stuff that, that people needed, they would give it to them. We went without so others didn't have to go without. That would make me a great father if my kids can see me as a great friend. Exodus 20, verse 12 says, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Can our children, from the time they're born until the time when the fathers breathe their last breath, look at this, look at us and say, man, my father was a good and faithful son. God starts off the Ten Commandments. He says, you will have no other gods before me. Then he says, you will not take my name in vain, which means don't have fake faith. Don't call yourself a Christian and then not really be one, right? Then after that, he says, remember the Sabbath, spend time with me, and then the very next thing is be a good son, be a good daughter. Honor your mother, honor your father. How a father treats his parents is extremely important for his children. And this isn't just because you want to take care of your parents so when you get old, your kids will take care of you. (laughs) That's part of it, but that's not really the main reason. It's just important. That's what God wants us to do. I want my kids to see me and other fathers here. You should want your kids to see you as a great husband, as a great friend, and as a great son. Yesterday, I was talking to one of the men in the church, and it's Saturday. I'm like, "Hey, what are you gonna do with your Father's Day weekend, your Saturday? What are you gonna do with the rest of your afternoon?" And he says, "Hey, my father-in-law has been really sick, so I'm thinking about going to see him." No, actually, what he said is, "I want to go and see him." He went to the doctor yesterday, and he was already sick and congested. And then they told him that he had pneumonia, and he says, "I've had pneumonia recently, and I know how much I was hurting. I felt like I was gonna die, so I want to go and see my father-in-law." And I was so convicted because I could see that it was genuine. It was like, man, this dude is a good son and that's his father-in-law, but this dude is a good son. On his Father's Day weekend, when he's got other things that he could be doing, he wants to go be a good son and go see his father-in-law make sure that he knows that he's loved and cared for. I wanna be that kind of son. To my own father, to my father-in-law, to the surrogates in my life, I think that's so important. See, I I really thought it was important to lay this foundation before sharing about fathers this morning. because I think we tend to judge fathers by how we make our children feel instead of judging fathers by who we really are as men. What's a good father? Well, ask their kids, how do you feel? Do you feel loved? Do you feel like you get what you deserve? Do you feel like you have what you want? Well, then you must have a good father. That's not necessarily true. A man should be judged more broadly when it comes to being a father. Are you a good son? Well, then maybe you're a good father. Are you a good friend? Then maybe you're a good father. Are you a good husband? Then maybe you're a good father. And do your children understand that sometimes they're not going to feel the way that they want to feel? And they could still say, but I have a great father. I think these things are important. I want fathers to look at themselves this way. I want children to look at them this way. I want the church to look at them this way. And then I think that we can have hope. Some people have better fathers than we know. We're just not evaluating properly. So why don't we pray? Lord, we want to evaluate properly this morning, Lord God, what it means to be a father, what it means to be a son or a daughter, Lord God, who you are as our father in heaven, Lord. There are times where we just don't evaluate properly. We feel as if you don't care. We feel as if you're not there. We feel as if you don't love us. We feel as if you don't understand us, but we know because of your word that none of those things are true. We're just not evaluating properly, Lord God. Help us to see you the way that you should be seen, Lord, but also this morning, help us to see our our fathers the way that we should see them Lord God our earthly father these men that you have placed in our life Lord whether they be biological fathers Lord God surrogate or adoptive fathers, Lord God, spiritual fathers, all the different ways that you have placed these people in our lives, Lord, the good, the bad, and the ugly, Lord. The stories where it's been done according to your intentions and the stories where it's been done according to your redemption and your love, Lord God. There's so much to see, so much to learn, so much to understand about who you are. You are our Father in heaven, Lord. Help us this morning. Not to leave out of this place the same way that we came in, Lord. Help the men who are fathers to be better fathers when we walk out of this place in just a few minutes, Lord God. Give us grace. Give us mercy. Give us understanding. Give us hope. Give us all the things that you as a father want to pour in and plant into our lives this morning. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So in our Time to Plant series for Father's Day, the title of the message is God is calling gardeners. God is calling gardeners. See, God calls men to be gardeners, both to plant and to tend to his creation, right? God could just do things supernaturally if he wanted to, but look at this picture. There's kids here, and what's missing are men. Gardeners. Everything's there that you need. You've got the life. You've got the kids. You've got the soil. You've got plants. All we need is gardeners. We need more men who are willing to garden. We have to plant and we have to tend to God's creation. So fathers have to be strong enough to plow and tender enough to keep from destroying the flowers and the fruit. Right? They gotta be strong. They gotta be willing to sweat. They gotta be willing to work. They gotta be willing to get dirty. Get in there. Turn the soil. Pull the plow. Pick the weeds. Deal with the the sun and the heat. Be strong. Don't be weak. I'm so tired of weak men. Like men are becoming weak. We don't know how to work. We don't know how to fight. We don't know how to defend. We don't know how to speak. We don't know how to do any type of labor, and it's crazy. Because the world that we live in is getting further and further away from laboring and sweating, right? So men don't develop. I want so badly to get artificial turf at my house because I don't want to do the yard work. But I'm like, man, I got to teach my kids. Think about it. How do you teach your kids to work hard now? Think about it. We got to be strong enough to do some of those things. But then we also have to be tender enough not to destroy the flower and destroy the fruit, right? Some men are like, yeah, I know how to be strong and I'm strong. But every time this plant and this flower of a child is growing, they just destroy it because they don't have any tenderness in them. They don't know how to touch the flower when it's barely sprouting. Right. They don't know how to to uh, to prune it without killing the whole thing. God requires us to be both. Somebody say amen. amen. We have to be wise enough to understand the seasons but also crazy enough to think that things can grow even when the weather and the season is saying something opposite. That's what it means to be a father. I've gotta be wise enough to know this is the kind of seed I have, this is the kind of soil it needs, this is what it's gonna take for it to grow, and this is when I should plant it, but then I also have to be crazy enough to say, look, even if we're broke, even if I'm not that educated, even if I'm not, I don't have an example of what it means to be a father, I can raise the best kids ever. Because none of that stuff matters because I'm crazy enough to think that God can do it. Amen. See, we need wise men, but we also need men of faith. Amen. Many of us look at ourselves and say, we have no faith. If I didn't have it and I can't produce it and I, and I, didn't, uh, I wasn't shown how to do this and my kids are just screwed. Man, where, what, where does that come from? That's not the faith that I believe in. Nobody taught me how to be a husband. Nobody taught me how to be a father. But I'm planning to be the best husband and the best father that anybody's ever seen. Why? Not because I think I can do it because I know the God that I serve. But I also have to be wise enough to read his word and say, well, what does it actually say, Lord? Not just crazy faith like like anything is possible, God. No, crazy faith like anything is possible, but also don't spare the rod. Okay, I got to discipline him. Don't drive your kids to wrath. All right, stop disciplining them every 30 seconds. (laughs) Right? Like some wisdom in there too. (laughs) Genesis chapter 1. Here's one thing that I'm going to do as as the father of this church. Today, what you are going to get is the word of God. You know, when a a father looks back at the end of their life and they say, man, what kind of father was I? And what did I give my children? how did I equip them? How did I prepare them? They look at what they gave their kids. Right? And then they're either happy with it or they're, or they're sad about it, right? With this church, if I look back at the end, all I care about is that we gave you the Word of God filled with the Spirit of God and the love of God. Amen. So that's what you're getting for your Father's Day present is a lot of the Word. So stick with us. <laughs> stick with us this morning because you're going to hear the Word. If you didn't want that, it's like, it's like when your parents try to give you something you don't want. Too bad. This is what you're getting. <laughs> so this is Genesis chapter 1. Verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. There's so much here, I don't have time to tell you, but God divided the light from the darkness. Which side are you on? God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So in the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, so the evening and the morning were the third day. And God said, let, the, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and for years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And so it was. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. And God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves, which the The waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and the fifth day, excuse me, and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing, beast of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See? I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I've given every green herb for food. And it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. It's the story of creation. Somebody say amen. 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 God creates the whole earth as a garden and then he says to man I'm calling you to be a gardener that's the story that's the story of life that's why it started that's what God intended and that's what you're doing right now today whether you believe it or not and if you don't understand it you might not be a very good gardener men especially God says look I'm going to make everything, and it's going to be special. It's going to be powerful. Why does he put, why does he put uh, reproduction or replication in the seed? Because there's multiplication that has to happen, and you need a gardener for that. If all you have is what he created, then it's going to die, right? And nothing's going to go forward. So what he says is, not only do I need you to tend, have dominion, be a great gardener, but I need you to plant these seeds over and over again so that it can multiply, and there will be more life. He says, keep it alive and see that it multiplies. Man, Adam, I'm going to bring you a woman. Take care of her, keep her alive, and make sure that you guys are able to multiply. You failed when you let her eat that fruit, right? You failed when you, uh, you denied me and I got to kick you out of the garden. So the garden that was the whole world keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Because man can't tend to it very well. And then within our own families, God says, look, I'm giving you one small garden. Take care of it. Take care of her and take care of these children. Keep them alive and make sure that it multiplies. Fathers are still called to this simple but amazing work of gardening. God says that our children are a gift from him. They have seed, right? He's given us the seed and he said, let it bring forth life. See, we've got to be strong in rules, we've got to be strong in regulations, we've got to be strong in vision and direction, goals and discipline, right? But we've got to be tender with our touch when it comes to our kids, tender with our words when it comes to our kids. As a gardener, we have to understand the different stages within this life of our children, right? I think it's so important to have discipline. I think it's so important to have accountability. I think it's so important even for there to be a certain amount of godly fear, right, that we have for the father, right? Our, our children need that from us as men and as fathers, right? But we also need to understand how to apply that throughout their life, right? When they're one and two is different than when they're eight or nine, or when they're 13 or 14, or when they're 17 about to turn 18, or when they're 25 and already on their own with their own families. We still have to apply these things. It's, it's our job as the gardener. We never stop gardening, right? But we've got to understand the difference. One thing I learned with, with my kids, uh, they're all different. So you can't just discipline them or speak to them the same way. Um, when I look at Nate, Nate has a desire to please me as his father. Nate has a desire to be accepted and encouraged as my son. right? And I remember he would do certain things. And because he's the oldest, like he'd get whooped. And I got no problem. It's recorded. I whoop my children. <laughs> I don't spare the rod. I think it's important. However... What I realized is that I could whoop Naomi, and two hours later, it's like it never happened. Like, she loves me. She don't even care. She don't even, like, her butt's not even sore. It's like buns of steel. (laughs) Right? Right? So that's how Naomi is, right? But I could whoop Nate and literally it's happened like six months, nine months later where I haven't laid a hand on the boy and if, he, if there's some type of trouble where he knows he's done something wrong, I can literally see the fear in his eyes that, man, I'm going to get whooped. See, every child is different and a, and a master gardener understands the difference between the types of flowers that you're tending to, right? right. If it's a cactus, you don't have to do very much. It don't even need water. Right, and I, I don't know much about all these other kind of flowers, but you know, one of those dainty like tulips or something. I'm pretty sure there's a certain amount of care that you have to provide for that thing. And what you want that flower to be is not always what it is. Oh, I want my, my oldest boy to be tough and rigid and just take it like a man. Like, pow! that's right, Dad, I deserve it. <laughs> But no, man, maybe emotionally he's more like a a flower that's like, look, dad, look, this hurts me internally more than it hurts me physically. And you might not even have to whoop me. You might just have to let me know that you're disappointed in me because of my actions. And I will change because I want to please you. What kind of father are you? What kind of gardener are you? What kind of flowers and fruit are you being called to raise and to tend to and to care for? Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. To everything there's a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace your children and a time to refrain from embracing them. A time to gain and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to lose and a time to keep, a time to throw away, or excuse me, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. So what profit has the worker from that in which he labors? I have seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put enmity, excuse me, eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from the beginning to end. I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. This is the gift of God. So our theme scripture for our for our series, a time to plan, is Ecclesiastes three three, or excuse me, three two, I believe it is. But we went all the way through thirteen. I think it's so important here. Gardening is the great work of the man of God, and then it says, what is he supposed to do at the end? He's supposed to eat and drink and enjoy the labor that he's done. And to me, that's to look at our, our children who have grown well. Right? It's a bunch of other things, but today specifically on Father's Day, a man gardens and he labors his whole life. And what does it mean to eat and drink of that labor and to enjoy it? Right? When you talk about somebody who's growing strawberries or they're growing um, um, what is it, uh, grapes so that they can make wine, what it would mean to eat and drink of that is once you've grown it right, and once you've processed it and then you bottle it and then you have that glass of wine, say, man, I'm eating and drinking of it and it's good. I'm enjoying this, right? At some point, we should be able to look at our children and and eat and drink of that and enjoy it, like, look what I've grown. Look what I've tended to. Look what I have been in process with, and it's good. How many of us at the end of our lives as fathers, we will have have focused on the wrong things that we were growing, and we will have tried to enjoy the wrong things? I wanna look up and be able to say, and I want you men to be able to look up and say, Man, look what, I, look what I grew. Look what I tended to. I get to taste and see, like, when you watch him do this and you watch her do that, right? Man, I, I did something right. So I'm going to be as simple as I possibly can this morning. I'm going to look at three things that a, that a good father and a good gardener must do in the lives of their children. Three things a good father and a good gardener must do in the lives of their children. Number one, plant confidence. <laughs> Number two, water courage. And number three, bring forth the fruit of Christianity. Plant confidence, water courage, and bring forth the fruit of Christianity. So I'm going to read uh, David's story to you guys this morning. And we're actually going to see how the fathers and the gardeners in his life actually failed to do these things. But God made sure that these things were accomplished in David's life. That's such an important thing in our lives because sometimes fathers fail. Somebody say amen. amen. We fail. I fail. But I'm so grateful that I have a father in heaven that never fails. Amen. <laughs> See, I think we can all learn from good fathers and we can learn from bad fathers. But again, I hope that everybody here aspires to be a good father. Amen. So this is 1 Samuel. We're going to look at a portion of David's life. 1 Samuel chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel... How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I've rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I've provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go if Saul hears it? He'll kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I'll come. I have come, or excuse me, I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one that I named to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and he invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. And the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as a man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains yet the youngest. And there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Samuel arose, went to Ramah, but the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said to him, surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to to seek out a man who is a skillful player on the harp. And it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and you shall be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the servants answered and said, look, I've seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person. And the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey, loaded it with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them by his son David to Saul. So David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became Saul's armor bearer. Then Saul sent Jesse, saying, Please let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. And so it was, whenever the Spirit from God was upon Saul, that David would take a harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. So number one, plant confidence. In David's earthly life with his earthly father, he was forgotten and discounted. Right? He's forgotten and discounted. The man of God comes and says, your family's chosen. One of your sons is going to be the man. Literally, he's going to be the next king. And Jesse sends all of his boys, and he just forgets and discounts David like he ain't nothing. You don't have to raise your hands, but many of you have been forgotten and discounted by your family, by your friends, and by your fathers. But God will not allow this. God says, You are special, you are unique. You're not just one of many. You're not just one of the family. You're not just one of your brothers and sisters. You are the only David. Insert your name here. (laughs) You are the only Vaughn. You are the only Mary. You are the only Liz. You are not discounted. You're special. You're unique. I don't care what your friends or your family say. I don't even care what your father says. If he says the wrong thing, listen to me. I'm going to tell you the right thing. You are the chosen one. This is not a condemnation of the others. God is just showing us that he wants to plant confidence in every single child. And he's also telling us that ultimately it's the father's responsibility. We could look at this and say, well, something must have been wrong with those other brothers. Well, no, they probably had confidence planted into them already some other way. You don't have to condemn your brothers and sisters. We don't have to condemn each other in order to be special to, to God. We can all be special to God. We can all have confidence planted in us. But again, it comes down to what type of gardener you are. I'm trying to figure that out with my kids. What's the best way to plant confidence into Niall's life and Naomi's life and Nate's life? Because it's all different. But they all need it planted into them. Nate is a great athlete, right? So... That's one way that confidence is going to be planted into him. But Naomi, she's super athletic, but she don't want to play sports. She wants to be a little girl and dance around. She was doing ballerina stuff yesterday. And I'm like, well, praise God, we're going to plant some ballerina confidence in you. (laughs) Right? But how many fathers, how many fathers, they only know how to plant one type of confidence? And then when you realize that all your kids are different, that means some of them could potentially go without confidence. You got to learn how to plant you got to learn and study the flowers. Amen. See, many children experience this, but the sad thing is that there's no one there to point them to their father in heaven. Yes. There's a lot of boys, there's a lot of girls out there right now that their fathers just don't know how to plant confidence in their life. And then here we are as Christians, jumping up and down and screaming and shouting in the church and praising Jesus. And then when we see those kids out there, we don't even get them around the arm and say, hey, let me tell you about your father in heaven. Amen. We don't have to push down their earthly fathers. We just have to say, look, I can clearly see that nobody has planted confidence in you. And I want to tell you about your father in heaven the same way that he did with David. He'll do with you, daughter of God, son of God. He didn't say because Jesse didn't plant confidence, there's not going to be any confidence. He says, listen, there's going to come a day when all of your brothers will go before you and they will not be chosen, but confidence will be planted in you because God has chosen you. The world needs some surrogate fathers out there who are willing to point children to their father in heaven. So God sends David to a spiritual father. See how that works? He's like, hey, David, um, Jesse's kind of blowing it in this area with planting confidence in you. right? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you to a spiritual father who can maybe do some of those things for you. So what does David see with his spiritual father when he's discounted and ignored by his earthy father? He comes into the church and he sees Saul and Saul's like, man, you make me feel good. I'm distressed and I'm downtrodden and I'm struggling in my relationship with God. But when I look at you, David, and when I hear you worship, you make me feel good, man, I love you. And then what does David say? I'm going to attach myself to you. I'm your armor bearer. It's like a father-son relationship. What he's saying is, I don't know how to fight yet. And I can't even wear this, this armor yet. But what I can do is carry it for you to every single battle. I'll give it to you so that you can fight. And then I'll watch you fight. You're my spiritual father now. Amen. God's planting confidence through a father. So we go on, First Samuel, the next chapter. You see this confidence has to be planted. Jesse... Can't do it or isn't willing to do it. God's like, hey, I'm going to plant some of my own. I'm going to send a prophet to choose you. And then I'm going to connect you to a spiritual father who will give you confidence. right? Who'll plant that in your life. So, uh, excuse me. First Samuel, next chapter, chapter 17, it says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle. And they were gathered at Soko which belongs to Judah, and they camped between Soko and Azekah and Ephes and Demem. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And, excuse me, And he had bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and a shield-bearer went before him. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel, and he said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that, may want to fight, that we may fight together. And Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistine, and they were dismayed and greatly afraid. David was the son of the Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, and who had eight sons. And the man was old, advancing years in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab the firstborn, next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Right? Remember we said something about being a good son too? And the Philistine drew near and presented himself for 40 days, morning and evening. Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp, and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand, and see how your brothers fare, and bring back news of them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David rose early in the morning. He left the sheep with the keeper. He took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight, uh, to fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper. He ran to the army and he came and he greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they fled from him, and they were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he's come up to defy Israel, and it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches. He'll give him his daughter, and give him his father's house, or... And give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you've come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? (laughs) Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he's a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and I struck it, and I delivered the lamb from his mouth, and when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard, and I struck it, and I killed it. Your servants killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. So Saul clothed David with his armor and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and he tried to walk for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these for I have not tested them. David took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook, put them in a shepherd's bag and a pouch which he had, and his sling was in his hand. He drew near to the Philistine, and the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the men, or excuse me, the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, his disdain, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, "Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks?" The Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. This day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air, the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with the sword or the spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. So it was, when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hastened, ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead, so that the stone sank into the forehead of the Philistine. And he fell on his face to the earth. David prevailed against and over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. He struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran, stood over the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out of its sheath, and killed him. He cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Ooh, amen. What a story. <laughs> if you haven't read it, now you've read it. Or you've heard it read. So, again, I shared last week that I was at uh, Capernaum. And got to see some of these places. They took us when we were in Israel to this valley that they believe this happened in. And there's nothing but rocks and stones. And I brought some of them home. Amen. And I can imagine David picking one of these things up and slinging it. And, and he was just all in. Somebody say amen. amen. You could tell that courage had been watered in his life. See? David's earthly father discounted him, right? Didn't really pay much attention to him. But then he goes to this spiritual father and he is encouraged. But even still, there comes this time where where his spiritual father couldn't even really encourage him anymore. He's like, hey, man, you're just a youth. You're just a kid. But that, that courage was still being watered because he still released him, though, right? Hey, if you think you can do it, we believe in you too, man. Like, water some courage. What have you done as a father that has watered courage in the lives of your children? where you've said, you can do it, you can accomplish it, you can go there, you can do that, you can be successful, you can accomplish things. Most of our kids hear us saying no and you can't, way more than they hear us saying yes and you can. See, Jesse wasn't focused on David, but God was still watering courage, right? Right? Jesse's like, just go out there and tend to the sheep. And God's like, man, you're supposed to make him courageous. And Jesse's like, I don't got time for that. I'm focused on the other ones. And God's like, all right, here comes a lion, David. <laughs> <laughs> right? Hey, David, here comes a bear. Don't be afraid. Read through the story with Joshua. What did he say? Be strong, be courageous, be strong, be courageous, be strong, be courageous. God wants us to water courage in the lives of our children. Saul didn't know exactly what he was doing in David's life, and most spiritual fathers don't know exactly what we're doing in the lives of our spiritual children. I don't want to try to convince you of that, but God knows what he's doing, right? When Saul brought David into his house, when Saul sees David ready to fight and he lets him fight, you know, maybe Saul was afraid, maybe Saul didn't think that he was going to be victorious, but still God is using that to water the courage in David's life. David needed that courage David steps out in faith right he's got confidence that he didn't have before now he's got courage right because God's been building some of that courage then he held the armor and he watched Saul fight probably for a good amount of time and now he's got a fight of his own that he has to fight and he's got courage the last one is about bringing forth the fruit of Christianity I think it's important to see that David didn't wear Saul's armor. Even though it was his spiritual father, and even though it was good armor, David tried to put that on, and you know what he said? Look, I'm not you. <laughs> I can't fight like you. I can't wear this stuff. Will I follow your lead? Am I a man of God? Right? Am I a child of God, a woman of God? Have I been led well spiritually? Yes, all those things are true. However, I'm going to leave your armor, and I'm going to fight my faith My fight for my faith, my way, the way that God has called me to do it. My kids don't have to be the same type of Christian I am. They just have to be Christians. My kids don't have to have the same ministry I have. They just need to minister unto the Lord and unto his people. They don't have to wear the same armor that I wear, but they better have some of their own. David was able to fight his own fight, but he grew up in a home with an earthly father, And he grew up learning about the kingdom from his spiritual father, right? His earthly dad messed some things up, but he taught him how to work hard. (laughs) He taught him about being in a family. He had a father that didn't run out on him. He was still there. He had a spiritual father that had all kinds of issues, (laughs) but he still taught him how to serve God and and to love God. And then David was in a position to be able to do those things on his own. You can look back and say, man, you can taste and see of the goodness of a father, earthly and spiritually in David's life. They weren't the best, but God always makes a way. Right? But are we sure of the fruit of Christianity coming forth? Right? We said we got to plant confidence, water courage, and bring forth the fruit of Christianity. This is what David says at the end of his life in 1 Kings chapter 2. Now David's life has come full circle, and he's the dad. Right? In the days, 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 1, Now in the days of David drew near that he should die. And he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies as it's written in the law of Moses. That you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. That the Lord may fulfill his word which he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons take heed to their way, to walk before me in truth, with all their heart and with all their soul, he said, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. That's the fruit of Christianity. Fathers. (laughs) Right? At the end of his life, he now has a son that's serving God. And he's still telling his son at the end of his life, you better be strong, you better be courageous, you better serve God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. God has made promises to us, and we need to be obedient to the Father in heaven. Go through their life, and they tore a bunch of stuff up. (laughs) They did a lot wrong, and every father in this room is going to do a lot wrong. Man, but if we could plant confidence water courage and bring forth the fruit of christianity we've been extremely successful we've been extremely successful david jacked up a lot of stuff with women in his life and you know what happened to solomon he went 10 times or 100 times worse than david with women in his life david however was a great friend this dude was just loyal to an end It doesn't matter who it was, he was like the most loyal friend. It says about Jonathan that the love they had for each other surpassed the love of a woman. Like he was just so down for his friends. He found himself with 300 people that were cast out of society. He's like, man, I'm with you guys. Let's just battle for the kingdom of God. When Solomon, his son, right, God comes to Solomon and says, hey, I'll give you anything you want. What do you want? He's like, I want to know how to take care of the people that you put in my care. I want to be wise enough to care. I want to be a good friend. I want to be a friend to these people, not just their king, right? I want to care for them. That's passed down from his father, who also made a lot of mistakes, David, right? David never badmouthed his father, Jesse, right? Read through the scriptures. Most of us, if our dads did what? Just once what Jesse did to David, we would never stop talking bad about them, and we would never forgive them. You You don't hear David saying one bad thing about his dad. You know about you know what happened with his spiritual father? His spiritual father at one point starts trying to kill him. Because he's growing more than his spiritual father. He's throwing spears at him and David's ducking and dodging spears and then worshiping. <laughs> right? And then he, he sends a whole army to kill David. David is in the back of a cave and, and, and Saul comes in and he could kill him to, even to defend himself. You know what he says? I will never touch the Lord's anointed. David knew what it was to be a good son. And then at the end, because he was a good son, because he was a good father, you know, his son passes on this lineage, right? Of servitude unto the father in heaven. We don't have to do much, and we don't have to be perfect men of God in this place. Fathers and fathers to be, right? All we have to do is plant some confidence, water some courage, and make sure we bring forth the fruit of Christianity. What that looks like in our kids' lives, they need to understand. The same way that we talked about with the mothers, and we said, hey, have a new dream. Make sure your kids know. If you ask your kids, mothers, right? If you ask them, hey, what's my dream for your life? Hopefully they respond that I would love Jesus and serve him all my life. If they don't respond that way, start working on that new dream and communicating to them. Fathers, right? What's my hope for your life? Man, son, daughter, I want you to be uh, confident. I want you to be confident that God has created you and you're special. I want you to be courageous, try stuff. Go places, do things. Because I was afraid to go off to school don't mean you can't go off to school. Because I was afraid to leave my mama and daddy's house until I was 30 years old don't mean you can't leave at 18, right? Be courageous. What do you want to be in life? Just because you've never had anybody do that in this family doesn't mean you can't do it. Be courageous. Go, son. Go, daughter. And then bring forth the fruit of Christianity. Son or daughter, as your father, I don't care what you do as long as you love Jesus. I don't care what you do as long as you love Jesus and then you make sure that you pass that on to your family and your kids. Man, new dreams and new gardeners. Women need to start dreaming dreams and men need to start laboring in the garden. I want to pray. I want to pray. Why don't you just bow your heads, close your eyes in this place this morning. Anybody here that needs salvation? Not saved and you just want your father in heaven to really be your father. Maybe you feel like an orphan. Maybe you feel like uh, you can never do good enough and you can never make up for all the wrongs. That's the God that we serve. We heard it during worship that he just opens the gates and says, come on home. You belong to me. You are chosen. Just like David, when nobody else wanted to choose you, God says, man, I've been looking at you. I've been waiting for you. I choose you. But you have to make that commitment. You have to give your life to him. Anybody here this morning, I just want to give my life to Jesus. want to come home and stop running. Just raise your hand. Hallelujah. Amen. I see you, brother. Stop running. Run to your father's arms. He loves you. You will fail and fail and fail and fail and fail. And you can never make up for it. The only one who can ever really forgive you is your father in heaven. The only one who can make every wrong right is Jesus, and he already paid the price for you. Lord, we see our brother. We ask that you would help him, Lord, not just to want to be saved, but to know that he is saved, Lord, that in you, Jesus, every wrong has been made right. You've washed away all sin with your blood, your righteous blood, Lord God. Bring your spirit into that life here in this place, Lord God, and confirm that salvation. Confirm that salvation for him, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Secondly, for the fathers who are here in this place who genuinely want prayer that God would help you to be a better gardener. You gotta learn how to plant confidence better. You need to learn how to water courage better. And you need to learn how to make sure that you're able to bring forth the fruit of Christianity. If that's you, would you come to the altar? You're a father in this place and you really want God to help you be a better father. Maybe the focus has been in the wrong areas. Maybe the intention has been replaced with what has to be redemption. It does not matter. But if you really want that, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And then the last call are for those who either you have a spiritual father or you're looking for a spiritual father because you truly want to be led to the Lord. You truly want to be discipled. You truly want to be shepherded, that you would be able to say one day, like David, man, I carried armor well, I watched well, I had a good example, and now I can fight my own fight. I can come against the giants in my own life. But you understand this morning that you need that process. You need someone to lead you that direction. You need somebody to help you, to develop you, to show you, to encourage you, to do those things in the spiritual realm for you. If that's you, would you come to the altar this morning? Just stand before the Lord and say, God, hallelujah. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for making us better gardeners, Lord God. And thank you for sending us spiritual fathers to show us, to show us, how to walk with you, Lord. Hallelujah. Lord, I thank you for your sons. I thank you for your daughters down at this altar this morning, Lord God. I pray for the fathers, Lord Jesus, that you would make them great gardeners, Lord. Give them all the tools. Give them all the equipment needed. Remind them that this was your intention from the, for them from the beginning, Lord. You made them strong that they could plow, Lord God. You've made them wise that they could understand seasons and planting, Lord God. You've also given them something that some of them have never tapped into, Lord, a tenderness, Lord. The same way you're tender with us, let them be tender with their sons and with their daughters. Let them understand their ages, Lord, what they're going through, how they're unique, why they're unique, Lord God. Build these men up to be the best of the fathers that we've ever seen, Lord God. Not comparing themselves to others, not comparing themselves to the world, but comparing themselves to you and what you desire them to be Lord Jesus thank you God for those who have come Lord that want to be discipled that want to be shepherded that want to be shown how to walk with you in the spiritual realm Lord God that need to be seriously ripped away from earthly fathers that need to be spiritually ripped away from surrogate and adopted fathers and they need to be given a Saul they need to be given a Moses like Joshua was Lord God Those that need that in their life, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would send it to them, but that they would be obedient, that they would be uh, humble, Lord God, to learn. That they wouldn't consider it, Lord, some type of punishment to carry the armor of those who are going before them to fight battles, Lord God. I pray that you would raise them up in a way, Lord Jesus, that when they come against the giants in their life, they are not afraid. They are not worried, Lord God. They have confidence. They have hope. They have faith, they have belief because they've seen it done in their own lives. They've seen it modeled before them, Lord, that they are going to be victorious. And like David, they would be able to say, look, this giant has come against me with swords and with spears, but we come in the power and in the name of the living God, Lord, not just with words, but with true understanding within their hearts, Lord. Send disciples, send disciples, send men and women of God who can lead in these areas, Lord Jesus. Have your way this Father's Day, Lord. We look up to you as the greatest father who ever existed. We thank you for every area that we fall short that you never fall short, Lord God. And we just ask for help. As we walk out of this place and back into this world, Lord, open our eyes to see real fathers. Open our hearts to forgive the trespasses of bad fathers. As you've forgiven us of our trespasses, Lord God. And build us up, Lord Jesus. Build us up. There's sons and daughters in this place, Lord. They need confidence. They need courage. Hallelujah, Lord. They need faith, Jesus. Have your way, God. Lord, we love you this morning. We thank you this morning. We promise, Lord, to keep coming back to you. We will not be estranged. We will not be uh, orphans, Lord God. We know we have a Father who loves us. And we know, Lord, that no matter how many times we fall short, no matter how many times we dip into your wallet, no matter matter how many times, Lord, we don't do what we told you that we were going to do, that you always embrace us and just say you're happy to see your son, you're happy to see your daughter. It's your house. Come home, Lord. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. You guys are all released. The worship team will continue to pray and play. If you want to pray, you're welcome to stay. If you want to be released, go enjoy your family. Go enjoy your fathers. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah, Lord. I was way you came to my rescue. From the grave I've been raised. When I needed a Savior to save me Jesus, you made a way I was blind